I'm going to go ahead and kick this off. What I thought I'd do was read a passage from my daily devotional. And then we're going to have a, a few announcements. And then we're going to jump right into our guest speaker. So this is what it said for me on January 31st. Selflessness shines. When I read Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave him self up for her i'm reminded by my calling as a husband i am called to love my wife and give myself up for her to give up my selfish desires selfish habits selfish goals and to put her above myself when i do she loves me to death without even knowing it she's loving the jesus in me and god gets the glory Especially with Valentine's Day coming up, I think maybe there's one day out of the year, I probably partially get it right on Valentine's Day only. The reality is, though, throughout all the other days in the year, and perhaps it's for my professional duties and, and goals and objectives that I have with my family to play sports and to do all these different things, my wife's incredible for me, and she really prioritizes all the things and the goals that I want to accomplish professionally as a family, et cetera. But this is certainly a reminder to me that of many priorities I have is certainly my wife. And I know I can do better in prioritizing her and doing things for her. I know she'll love me more and we'll both love our Lord and Savior more and be better aligned with that. So it's also a, a soft little reminder that Valentine's Day is coming up. I, I'm usually very late in the game and being organized for that particular holiday which kind of sneaks up so men <laughs> take heed and be prepared for valentine's day okay yeah don't screw it up <laughs> barney jump in please amazing wow that's it wow incredible longevity 67 years that is a long time that is amazing all right can anyone top that any any toppers of 67 who's approaching 67 in the room 60s any silver mine how many years paul 62 62 that's incredible well, all of you are incredible example, examples. Yeah. <laughs> Next men's breakfast, all the secrets for a long, happy marriage. <laughs> Travel a lot. <laughs> Leo. What's that? 51. That's incredible. Everyone, yeah. All right. We do have a few announcements that we're going to go through. So we have our 28th AYL weekend coming up here. So that's certainly a big event. We've talked you know, a little bit about that in, in the previous men's breakfast, certainly at church. We have our chairperson here, Mr. Bill Hoven. I'd like Bill for to come up here and get some more, more detail of what's happening, Bill. So, All right. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, good morning. So, uh, as Kevin said, yeah, we've got AYL kicking off tomorrow night, and we have um, close to kids registered, all middle schooler and high school kids, 
And this year, if you're familiar, is everybody familiar with AYL? It's essentially our in-town youth retreat, and um, it's been going on for 28 years. It's it's just an amazing part of this church, and it also it brings in not just our students, but they bring friends from all over, and it's it's really amazing. Um, but this year, we are bringing back host homes. So traditionally, their <coughs> members of the congregation will open up their homes to house all these kids for the weekend, and COVID put a stop to that. And so uh, for the last past two years, everything's just happened here on campus. So we're really excited. The kids are excited. Um, we have 23 uh, families hosting these kids, uh, and it's, it's going to be great. We also have uh, college students, college leaders that will are coming in from all over to help participate and lead. And it's, it's set up to be an exciting weekend. Um, last year, we had uh, 35 kids um, commit to Christ on uh, the big Saturday night event, and and that's our goal. We just we want to we want to make um, bring awareness and bring love and bring um, <coughs> these kids help form their hearts to towards Christ. And it this weekend is just is always an, an amazing uh, opportunity to do that. So I will say we still have some uh, volunteer opportunities. If anyone is available this weekend, we have things from just monitoring our prayer room for the kids to we need some security. So some of you, you guys could come and uh, handle security for us. Now, but if anyone is around this weekend and interested in, in maybe participating a little bit, um, I'll be here afterwards and would love to chat. So, but um, anyway, thank you, Kevin, for letting me be here. Oh, and by the way, on the Valentine's thing, I, so I've been blessed with a wife who Valentine's Day isn't her most important, it's not a big deal to her. So I was able to bring in my family tradition of uh, heart-shaped meatloaf to my family. So every year, my wife and daughters look forward to a heart-shaped meatloaf from dad. So. <laughs> we'll see how long that That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. No, I we have a, a small little project going on, as we know, the Commons Project. So Jim has given us some updates, and Jim is here again to let us know uh, what's happening. So, Jim, I know I caught you right in the middle of getting the coffee there. Jim, get working. Hello. <laughs> Where that came from. <laughs> anyway, uh, you may remember that we're uh, starting our third year on this project. We went through a whole lot to get to this point, but I'm happy to say as of yesterday, we got our land disturbance permit. We had to have that to start. And it's been back and forth for months with the town in getting that done. We hope to have the uh, building permit for the new foundation for the pavilion that'll be moved from where it is now up to the northwest corner. And we hope to also get the demolition permit today for the scout hut, which has had the power cut off and the water cut off in there. So it's, and it's empty, so it's ready to go. Um, we're not gonna be doing a lot this weekend. A few other things are going, but uh, I can trust, I'm sure that uh, next week you'll start to see the fence go up and 
another thing starting to happen. If you'll watch uh, Friday Blast, there'll be <clears throat> weekly or semi-weekly updates. Uh, as we go along, you'll see videos at church. So we're gonna follow this. The construction company is gonna have a uh, continuous camera operation. You know how neat those are to watch a project come along. So we'll have that done and, and you'll be able to select the things that you wanna see. So I'm excited, I hope you're excited. And uh, we'll have a grand opening, I mean, a groundbreaking first. Um, and that grand, uh, the groundbreaking will have uh, the mayor there and it'll have uh, people from, from our church and also from uh, other parts of, of the Methodist church. So it's gonna be a big deal. And uh, I'm happy to say that we, we got a credit line with the bank and that's taken care of. As far as uh, um, funds in, we have, got pledges and cash combined of $1.25 million. So we did well, it took a while. And of course we couldn't be trying to solicit donations at the same time as the, as, as the regular. So it, it was quiet and it needed to be while we're going through the, uh, the normal annual uh, pledge drive. So if anybody's got any questions, catch me later on. I'll be happy to give you more of an update, but it was, a long time getting here and and you'll start to see more on it now thanks Appreciate exciting to hear about the groundbreaking coming up i have uh just one more announcement and then i'll see if there's any other announcements and then we can get into our guest speaker for today so and uh, for the the speakers for the month of march we are intending to have a side-by-side -side mission partner. So I'm working with Marion Brown on that. So that'll be the target for, uh, for March. And then for April, I'm really trying to put some plans together to have a men's dinner. So this has been something that I've been thinking about, something that's been on Eric's you know, uh, list as well to, to try to get a men's, breakfast, a men's dinner together. So uh, some tentative plans, um, some more to come on that. It would probably be maybe to the later or middle to later part of April, just the way that I think the calendar lays out between Easter holiday, between some of the spring break activities. So more communication on that. I definitely want to get that out um, out and in, in that date out there. So just trying to firm up those plans. Any other announcements in the room? That's right. Arts Up is uh, the play this year coming up is a uh, the importance of being earnest. The dates are Thursday, February 16th at 7.30, Friday, February 17th at 7.30, and those are dinner uh, presentations. Sunday the 19th at two o'clock, and that's a lunch. Uh, so uh, I really don't have a lot of information. I'm just helping build the set. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's gonna, it, for your information, I do know that movie is currently playing on HBO. If you're if you have access to that, so the ticket purchase is RMUNC RUMC, and you make your can do that online, and you get an email receipt. And I'm told just take that receipt, and that will get you a reserved thing. I think they're thirty five dollars for reserved and twenty five for general admission. That's about all I got. Gene, what was the title again? The importance of being earnest. It's a uh, Oscar Wilder. Yep. 
Any other announcements? Well, I have the privilege to introduce Steve Johnson as our next speaker. Steve Johnson is a Cobb County native. He graduated from North Cobb High School in Georgia State University with a major in accounting. He had a varied career, including public accounting, real estate, real estate, real estate activities, including development, property management, and real estate portfolio management, ending with 20 years of consulting work in accounting, systems integration, mergers, and acquisitions. He retired in 2021. He was a long-term long member of Mount Bethel United Methodist Church before starting to attend RUMC and the Reset Sunday Morning Group led by Eric and Kamek. He is currently involved with founding of an ongoing operations of the New Grace Resurrection Methodist Church in each Cobb, which is composed primarily of former members of Mount Bethel UMC. At this time, I'd like to introduce Steve Johnson. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to start with a short prayer, if you will, pray with me. Lord, we want to thank you for the blessing of being able to openly gather together in your name as Christians. We ask that you bless our time together, that you help us sharpen and support each other as brothers in Christ, that you bless the friends and soon-to-be friends around each of us, and that you bless the brotherly love between us. Amen. Amen. Uh, for those of you that do not know me, you might wonder why I'm up here as the speaker. For those of you that do know me, which includes two of my friends from my Mount Bethel men's group, you're in the same class as me, which is you definitely wonder why I'm up here as a speaker. <laughs> but after Senator Albers spoke late last year, I stayed after for a few minutes and, and talking to Kevin and just suddenly kind of in the middle of the conversation, he looked at me and said, have you ever considered doing being the speaker for one of our breakfasts and I looked him in the eye and I sincerely said no but he said I think you should and I'm going to pray that you'll do that so the one bit of advice I can confidently give you today is if he asks you to do something and tells you he's going to pray you might as well just say yes and get on with doing it it's amazing how it happened and, and I think God had something to do with it and although I'm still not exactly sure what the purpose is, but um, I'm also admittedly hoping for kind of a Jonah experience after the well, but where God told him, go to Nineveh, stand up before the people, open your mouth, and I'll, I'll do the talking, but I don't know if he'll show up and talk or not. <clears throat> There's always hope. My story today will seem somewhat random for two reasons. I will talk about different aspects of my life instead of going kind of in totally in chronological order. And also my brain works randomly. So it's kind of hit or miss. Hopefully it will make sense. But I'm going to read a good bit of what I've written because I'm cognizant of uh, the time we have and, and uh, hopefully that'll help keep me on, on topic. But uh, with all of us, our parents play a large part in shaping our lives and our attitudes, especially in our younger years, our younger formative years just as their early years shaped them. I think it's important to recognize that, not only to explain some of the choices we make in shaping our own lives, 
but also how that affects our children and their children. As an overview for my parents, my parents were born and raised on adjoining farms in Northeast Mississippi. As a barefoot kid, my mom played with barefoot Elvis and his barefoot cousins that lived down the road from their house. One of my mom's uncles owned a local general store and sold Elvis's first guitar. His other choice the day he went in with his mother was a 22 rifle. He ended up getting a guitar, so I don't know how much different <laughs> that might have made. He didn't want to pay the extra $3 for the guitar, and his mom said, well, I'll cover the extra cost. He goes, okay, then I'll get the guitar. But um, my mom and her family woke up one night with the house literally burning down around them, and everyone managed to get out safe, but they pretty much lost everything they had. My dad was the youngest of several children, and his mother died when he was two. His father was an alcoholic and thankfully realized that he could not handle raising a toddler by himself and with the older kids. And uh, so my dad went to live with an aunt and uncle that lived in the same area there. My dad was 14 when his father died. So based on these experiences, my father developed a strong disapproval of alcohol and a strong belief in going to church that stayed with him through his whole life. Due to the small student body at their high school, there were five in my mom's graduating class. The next year, it was up to six when my dad graduated. But due to that, my father played eight years of varsity basketball. <laughs> and this is more amazing his senior year in high school he drove the school bus <laughs> and the school bus had a wood burning stove for heat <laughs> i don't think either one of those two things would happen uh in today he said if it got slid off the road and got stuck he had to walk to the nearest farm for them to bring two mules out to pull the school bus out of the ditch interesting all of this, plus memories of the Great Depression and rationing during World War II, caused my parents to develop a, uh, my, an attitude of taking the safe, reliable, dependable course of life and not take chances or push beyond the ordinary. This was the context of their lives, and that was the context my sister and I kind of grew up with, and that affected us in our formative years also, to be safe and conservative. I grew up in the Baptist church, regularly attending services and very active in RAs. Did anybody here come up in the Baptist church in RAs? And uh, we did a lot of youth activities. We'd have youth week and we'd actually handle the services. It was usually the older, like senior high school people that would do the, the uh, actually do the sermon on Sundays and we were, had the youth choir. And I really enjoyed that. But... About my high school year, I became disinterested, I guess is the best word with the church. I was disappointed. And looking back on it, I realized it was because I didn't like the minister that much. And I felt it was in conflict to what I was looking for in the church. He um, only had a few sermons. So about every two months, rerun season started. And you could almost do the sermons yourself because you had heard them so many times. And I thought that was a lack of effort on his part, that his job should be more involved in that. He also complained about 
being overwhelmed with his duties and responsibilities and he needed some help, but yet he found time to get a part-time job at the Chevrolet Chevy dealer in town who the owner was a member of the church and provided him a free car every year. He complained about the, the church provided house he lived in, the car, the wall to wall carpeting looked worn. Well, most of us in the church, including my house, we didn't have wall to wall carpeting and we didn't even have air conditioning. So I felt like by guilt, by association, I guess I felt like that church wasn't what I was really looking for. It wasn't providing what I thought was religion. And so I kind of grew away from the church. The, uh, but still, while I lost interest in church, I retained a strong faith in God and his grace. But I was kind of just floating out there with just my belief like that without really having a church to be affiliated with. Uh, more in my life, I consider the first major blessing in my life happened two years before I was born. My parents moved to Marietta, Georgia from rural Mississippi. My father was one of the first 200 people hired when they opened Lockheed in Marietta. And um, the C-130 and I are basically the same age. I think there's a one-year difference here. So uh, that started my interest in planes and stuff. I always ask Eric questions about planes and stuff, even though I don't really know that much about it, but I just find it interesting and I know he knows a lot about it. But first through the third grade was in Fair Oaks off South Cobb Drive. I don't know how many of you know where that is, but I went to Robert L. Osborne School, which was first through the 12th grade. Robert L. Osborne was the principal of Robert L. Osborne School. <laughs> and his wife was uh, my first grade teacher. Wonderful people, both of them. Beginning of the fourth grade, we moved to Ackworth and then I went on to Archer Middle School, graduating from North Cobb in 1972. After my freshman year of college at Mercer and Macon, I made a parent-influenced practical decision to move home and finish at Georgia State with the major in accounting. Accounting will always be needed, right? So that was a safe, dependable thing to do. However, this created two major career conflicts for me. One was I didn't like most accounting, and two was I didn't like most accountants. <laughs> they were very happy. Most of them are very happy living in a very little box, and I just didn't like the little box concept too much. After uh, 10 years of public accounting, my career, as he mentioned, my career progressed through real estate development, property management, real estate portfolio management, public accounting again, as a manager of Coopers and Library doing the Resolution Trust Corporation or RTC era when they were closing SNLs all over the country. And uh, in that I managed project teams in Atlanta, Dallas, and Denver for a while. And as that was winding down, I went to work with a minority owned real estate company who I had met through my work with Coopers in Atlanta and that company partnered with a company out of California for a joint venture to handle the official merchandising for the 96 Olympic Games here in Atlanta. So I moved over to that project and I operated as a CFO of the official merchandising company starting in July of 95. I went through January of 97. I'm the guy that turned out the lights at the end. So when we got everything done, 
We handled sales of official merchandise within the ticketed venues and events and at the Olympic Superstore in Olympic Park. During the Olympics, I had three controllers and 42 accountants, and we had over 2,000 employees in total uh, to, to, to take out to cover the whole Olympics uh, duration. It was truly a once in a lifetime opportunity that uh, involved 20 hour workdays some days. We had one team at one venue had a problem with their inventory before the event started. They worked 26 hours straight to figure out what was wrong and get it right. We had some Arthur Anderson people working with us. I convinced them that it would be beneficial for their audit purposes to, to view what was going on. And that way we got a free account of it every uh, at a, every uh, location, but Arthur Anderson was not happy when this young lady turned in 26 hours on her, her timesheet. Uh, after 10 years of public accounting, well, um, moving back to the minority-owned company after the Olympics, I was involved with the development of the fifth runway project at Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. I was responsible for landscape management, property management of the existing properties as they were acquired, which included homes, apartments, commercial and retail properties, and managing the relocation of the tenants of those properties after they were acquired and oversight of demolition for acquired properties. It was a very interesting project. I was in a lot of meetings with Ben DaCosta, who was the manager at that time and and the airport's just a city on its own it's bigger than a lot of cities actually and that's 24 7 and their master plan was basically to redevelop everything south of downtown atlanta you know all the roadways and all that stuff and i think they spent 5.4 billion or so on doing that runway project and they still didn't do as much as they wanted to and i don't know if that's still in the plan or not but it was a it was a phenomenal undertaking by them, and I was uh, very enjoyed it a lot. It was a very different project than anything I had done before. I then spent the last twenty years of my career doing project based um, contract consulting work with an international consulting firm because it gave me the opportunity to work with a lot of different people because I worked with a variety of companies. And I had always throughout my career enjoyed the people more than the work. I was everywhere I was. And I retired in August of 2021. This is the umbrella in which I lived and worked what I considered my ordinary life. To me, pretty much black and white with some gray tones, nothing really that interesting or exciting. But starting in early 2020, I'll get back to the significance of that specific time. I began to reflect on my life, especially certain details, and realized there were a number of colorful events that weren't so ordinary, for some people anyway, and were sometimes very painful and trying. And those things shaped me as to my life philosophy and where I am on my journey with God. I share these details today because I feel to varying degrees, my trials have probably also happened in some form or fashion with many of you in this room. And in the breakout sessions at some of the tables, some of this stuff has, has come to light with certain of you that have shared your similar things about some of this. So I know it applies to at least a few, if not more. But as men, 
we often keep our struggles inside without sharing or even acknowledging them and without asking for help or support. <clears throat> we are supposed to be <clears throat> we are supposed to be strong, a fixer of problems, and a protector to those near and dear, right? That's a heavy burden sometimes. And sometimes it's continuously a heavy burden in certain ways. But as a child, medically, I'll get into some of my medical stuff over the years. As a child, I had hernia, sur hernia surgery as a toddler. Don't remember it. Tonsils, very young. All I can remember is I could have all the ice cream I wanted. So I thought that wasn't too bad. I had very bad hay fever and asthma. I spent several hours in the ER, in the ER for different times because it was so bad, doing shots and stuff. Of course, remember, this was way back when. And uh, I tried to play youth football. <clears throat> Coach told me I wasn't mean enough to be a tackle. I had to play guard. I didn't really understand that, but okay. And uh, I played both offense and defense, so I played every play. But it was hay fever season. I couldn't see because my eyes were watering so bad and I, my nose was running and stuff. And then I almost suffocated under the pile several times. So before the season was over, I had to quit. So I never had a career in uh, football. Didn't manage to play some baseball and basketball though. But the, big, the biggest thing <clears throat> probably in my life was when I was 15 years old in the ninth grade, I had three surgeries for collapsed lungs. And one of those, two of those were minor. That's their definition, not mine. But um, one of them was major. And it took me three years to physically recover from that surgery. Because way back then, this 1969, they didn't get you up after you had surgery. It was two weeks before they got me out of the bed when I had the surgery. And by the end, muscles were going back together in the wrong way. And um, it was very difficult. I was uh, 6'1" got down to 129 pounds. That's when I began not liking the MIAPOW look like some of these uh, marathon runners. They look like they're <clears throat> very uh, skeletal almost. And that was very difficult in my high school because I couldn't do a lot of things. And uh, I was very skinny, looked really weird, even weirder than when I was my normal weight. But um, uh, I got to the point where the scars I had because we'd go to the beach and swimming and boating and all that kind of stuff, that they were just part of me. If somebody else had a problem with it, it was their problem. It was no longer going to be my problem, even though I felt like I'd been in a bad knife fight and got shot four times with all the scars I had. But um, I persevered and, and things worked out. But as an adult, I had ACL reconstruction in 94. I was 40 years old. I had a pancreatic cancer cyst uh, surgery in 2008 when I was 54. They removed about 20% of my pancreas. Thankfully, took care of everything, and uh, I didn't have to do any other uh, treatment for that. <clears throat> the other big one, <clears throat> the other big one was in 2018. Which wasn't that long ago. <clears throat> my urologist called me after my annual um, visit with him and he said something's up with your um, prostate 
He said, your PSA baseline has been 1.6 to 1.8. We all know how this works for a number of years. And in this last year, it's gone up to 3.6. He said, I know it's not the five, but it shouldn't increase like this. So I think we need to do a biopsy. They did 12 biopsies and 11 of those were cancerous. So then we had the discussion with him as to treatment options. There was about six, I think, that we went through. He kept going back to surgery. He said, I think you should have surgery, especially since 11 out of 12 were cancerous. And I think you should have surgery and you're one and done. Won't have to do chemo, won't have to do radiation. I thought, well, that seems like two good reasons. And he referred me to uh, Northwestern Medical in Chicago with Dr. Catalona. And Dr. Catalona actually developed the whole PSA protocol. And so he was very familiar with all this. And he uses a nerve-saving surgical technique to possibly allow you to obtain, excuse me, some functional level after surgery. And um, the doctor said, my urologist said, this guy's really good. He's the doctor, he's the surgeon that urologists go to when they need surgery. And he goes, and I sent my brother to him and I love my brother. So it's like, well, okay, there's a, there's a recommendation. Uh, having a family uh, between my junior and senior years of college, I spoke about this some other night uh, with a group, but uh, between my junior and senior years of college, I married my high school sweetheart. One of the life philosophies I developed from getting married at the age of 21 is that you should be at least 28 years old before you get married. <laughs> I picked I pick 28 because I think it takes around that long for you to decide on some career path and actually to kind of grow up and become more of the person you will be in the real adult world, you know, going forward. But even though the marriage did not last that long at the age of 26, in 1980, we had a daughter who's grown up into a wonderful, caring person and mom. And she and her husband have two boys that are 11 and 6 who are never dull, but always entertaining as most grandkids, especially boys can be. And uh, they live in Dallas, Georgia. At the age of 31, I remarried to a wonderful, smart, independent woman who was literally five foot two and eyes of blue with a smile that lit up any room she was in. Terry and Henry known her for, knew her for quite some time. And uh, we were married for 35 and a half years during which we had many wonderful times and some very trying times. During the trying times, we stood together as a team and faced the challenges as best we could. We were like two strong trees that had grown together with interlocking limbs so tight, we actually looked like one tree. I mean, we were solid. Being in our 30s and wanting to have two kids, we started the process of growing our family. We never had a problem getting pregnant, but we did have a problem staying pregnant. After the fourth miscarriage, my wife had surgery for fibroid tumors, which was complicated but successful. For the fifth pregnancy in 1988, everything went normal until it didn't. At 25 weeks, she went into a violent labor, which required pain medication, almost to the point of risking cardiac arrest. The doctor said she had to go through labor and delivery, but the chances for the baby were very small. Blake was born at uh, 
one pound, 11 ounces. I could hold him in the palm of my hand. He had no lung development and lived for only an hour and a half. I don't know how you even live for an hour and a half if you have no lung development, but apparently he was a strong kid. For our sixth pregnancy, we connected with the professional practice group in Augusta, which is a, a group of 28 specialists, each of which work with you through your whole pregnancy. Although you meet with just two doctors, so you only have two faces to deal with, but there's 28 specialists working on it. And uh, they worked with us through the entire pregnancy and we had a healthy baby boy born a month premature in 1990. He's now 32 years old in the Air Force, married, and expecting their first child in March. After he was born, people would ask my wife if we were going to have another child. And she would say, no, I'm too old. We have a perfect baby boy and we'd probably have a she-devil if we had another kid. <laughs> and then she would say, cause it would be like me, but, but um, dealing with other loss in our life. In 1993, my mom died unexpectedly at the age of 66. My son was almost three and doesn't remember her. In 1998, just before Christmas, my mother-in-law, age 70, died one week after being diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. She wasn't big on proactive medicine, so she had no idea until she went to the hot hospital to find out what the pain was why she was losing weight it was stage four by then so and then when they told her what they were going to do as far as chemo we think she kind of decided to have a heart attack because she didn't want a person to deal with that kids she didn't have time for doing that she was a very vibrant busy person my father age 70 was at her funeral saying thankfully i still have my health he was very busy with his church, with the food bank. He had been on his house that week cleaning gutters. But the next morning had a massive heart attack. And we buried him exactly one week after my mother-in-law. A year later, my father-in-law, age 72, went into a coma at the end of November and died on Christmas Day. Three days later, my grandmother died in Mississippi. Now, she was 96, so you can't say it was totally unexpected, but still, she was very active right up until uh, she died. A few months later, my wife had her gallbladder removed, and we didn't even tell my, our son that she was going to the hospital because she was uh, 0 for 3 with having people come home from the hospital. In mid-January of 2020, I took my wife to the ER <clears throat> because of severe pains in her abdomen. The diagnosis at, in the ER was stage four pancreatic cancer. That diagnose, diagnosis was confirmed with the liver biopsy. We were told it was very aggressive cancer because she had had the same type of scan uh, the previous June and it was totally clear for anything and for cancer. It had gone from nothing to stage four in six months. Uh, she started chemo January 29th of 2020. And from that day, I watched her melt before my eyes for 10 months. 
until she died December 7th. And I thought, leave it to my wife to pick Pearl Harbor Day as the day that she would uh, pass away because she always did things with the flourish. I'm sure, as many of you know, there is no cure yet for pancreatic cancer. It is a terminal disease that varies only by how aggressive it is and how it reacts to various chemo drugs that are currently available. The doctor oncologist told us at that time there was probably 24 different drugs they can use. And as I'm sure some of y'all have done or are aware about chemo, but you know, they usually mix at least two together and they just try to find the right two that will um, produce the best results or prolong the, the, as best they can. Remember earlier when I said I would get back to the significance of early 2020? Well, this is it. I am by nature a positive person. Looking back over my life in 2020, I realized for all the things I've shared with you this morning, I held a positive attitude that they would somehow work out. To me, all the surgeries were not something I feared, but instead I was grateful that God had given doctors the ability to take care of it. Doctors in medicine cannot fix that cancer diagnosis, diagnosis, but I certainly prayed for healing. Wouldn't it be cool to be the first pancreatic cancer patient to get cured? I prayed to take her place and I tried very hard to always be positive with her and encourage her to have faith and a strong attitude. Almost exactly a week before she died, we were sitting on the edge of the bed, trying to have a simple conversation. This had become very difficult for her due to what is referred to as chemo brain. And the chemotherapy greatly affects brain function in many ways and it's progressive as uh, you continue treatment. So any conversation was difficult for both of us. But, uh, but in the middle of trying to have some kind of simple conversation, she paused, looked me in the eyes, which had become unusual. And very clearly she said, this has been very difficult for me and I have fought very hard, but there's no fight left in me. You know I need to move past this, and I want to die with some dignity. That was six days before she died. I told her, you have put up a great fight. I will do everything I can for you, and I love you very much. Remember my analogy of uh, two trees that look like one? When she died, one of those trees was taken away. It's happens when you work in your yard, two plants are together, you separate them. One side of the remaining plant is very sparse and um, undeveloped. Half my life was then missing. I enrolled in a grief share program through my church, which I highly recommend to anyone suffering with the loss of a loved one, whether recent or further back. I'll be happy to talk more with anybody that might be interested in that, point you in that direction. And realize through grief share, and a, a, it's a very positive um, work through your grief uh, program, but I realized my job was to rebuild 
replenish and nourish that scraggly part of my life that was so empty. My faith grew stronger as I began to feel God had a bigger purpose for my life. If we believe God is the creator of everything and he made us in his image, how can we not believe that there is greatness within each of us that we must strive to find and realize? God didn't just waste his time when he created us. I realized I had been traveling down the road of life at high speed looking for a sign from God for most of my life. The problem was I was looking for a big sign, like a burning bush, you know, something that's undeniable kind of thing. That didn't happen. But all along, God was providing lots of signs, but they were printed on the speed limit signs that I was mostly ignoring, like I do when I'm driving. But uh, once I slowed down to appreciate and give thanks for the smaller things, the blessings in life, the more purpose and peace I found. For over a year now, I've been in a relationship with a wonderful, caring Christian woman named Barbara, who some of y'all know uh, from us being in Reset and my guys from uh, Mount Bethel Group. She and I have known each other for 20 years, having met working, working on several consulting projects, being Mount Bethel members, and socializing as couples with our spouses. The really weird thing is my wife's name was Shirley. Her husband's name was Shirley. So in conversations, when we were still working together on a project, we'd have to say you're Shirley or my Shirley just to keep the conversation straight about who we were talking about. And he, he was a wonderful person. But um, her husband died a few months after my wife. And I encouraged her to uh, get involved with Grease Share. And uh, she did. And after a few months, our relationship changed, even though neither one of us were looking for someone or a relationship at the time, it just kind of evolved. And we realized, um, especially after the fact, I think God put us together for a number of reasons and to accomplish several things in common in our lives. But she is a huge blessing in my life. And we are both very involved with attending and volunteering as he said, in the founding and operation of Grace, Uni Grace, Grace Resurrection Methodist Church in East Cobb. And uh, it's a very small church, but uh, we only started having services in August in a Baptist church on Providence Road in East Cobb. The minister at the Baptist church was the nephew of the oldest living member at Mount Bethel. So it's just kind of worked together that we were there. So we would have a 930 service and then the Baptists would have their 11 o'clock service. And within just a couple of months, um, God kind of directed us in several things. And we found a Lutheran church that had closed. And it's right there on the Highway 120 at Indian Hills Parkway. It's across the street from uh, Eastside Elementary School. But uh, we, uh, I think it's an 18 month lease on the property and um, we only accepted members for the first time on December 18th and we're now probably just past the 200 mark which is pretty good growth for a church that size and the biggest problem we have is we're going to have to start a second service because we're filling up the, the, the sanctuary pretty much for the 11 o'clock services we're having now but 
I feel like in a torturous way or circular circuitous way, God has put me in the place that I probably was meant to be all along. And I don't know exactly where that's going to go, but I feel a lot of peace. I've always felt very, uh, with a lot of peace and close to God in the church. And uh, that just confirms every time I'm in the church and it doesn't even have to be the one I belong to that that's where I need to be closer to God. Because as they said before, if God seems distant, who moved? Because God's here all the time. I appreciate y'all's time. And uh, anything that y'all would like to discuss, I'd be happy to do that too. Um, just let me know. I'll be here for a few minutes. Thanks. Steve, that was so amazingly uh, authentic. The trials that you spoke of are certainly so relevant. We can all relate with those. It certainly is a blessing to move from Mississippi to Marietta. <laughs> that was really um, heartfelt. Um, thank you so much for having the courage to come up here to speak and and be so transparent about that. And I should have opened up in the introduction to, to Steve. I mean, he has been so consistent. <laughs> Those are different signs that we talk about. It might not be the burning bush, but <laughs> we will be wrapping up here in just a moment. Um, but Steve has been so consistent here on a monthly basis and, and getting to know you, Steve. It's been wonderful to have you as a friend. So again, thank you so much here. We are right, um, right at eight o'clock. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out in prayer. Um, any other announcements? Um, anything burning on your heart to share before I wrap us up? All right. So again, yeah, thank you so much, Steve. If you could just go ahead and, and bow your head. Heavenly Father, you have provided so many blessings to us. Continue to give us courage and strength through these trials. As a group of men, give us the courage to, to lead our, our families, lead other men. Give us the vulnerabilities to be able to speak open and to receive guidance from you, from other men so we can do your will and walk in your faith. May we go out into the world and do the mission work that you want us to do, Lord. Give us courage and strength. In your name we pray, amen. amen. All right, gentlemen, have a great rest of the day, great rest of the week for the AYL volunteers. Have fun with that. We're gonna be a host home, so. We're amped up for this weekend, so it's going to be super fun. So I'll have to report out um, certainly in March from that experience. So have a good one. We'll talk to you soon.